Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you, all the choir, the specials. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, you can turn, if you'd like, to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. I'll be there in a few moments. First of all, let me just remind you that this Tuesday night, Thursday night, we have uh, the teaching class on phonics, and if you want to learn how to read a little better and uh, to help whether you're small or older, uh, we'll be having those classes. They start here Tuesday, Thursday. You can call the church, ask about it. It'd be a great thing for you to be able to uh, read better, and uh, things uh, mean a lot more to you when you can read better. So uh, there's no age limit on it, although we're calling for young people to come. But if you're interested in that, you're more than welcome, and they're going to have a great time beginning Tuesday night. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, I'll be with Daniel in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, now all these things happen, talking about Israel and so on, unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom and it won't turn. That's another good thing. The ends of the world are come. It mentions two words, in samples. That means samples, patterns, models. And then it's for our admonition, warning, reproof. So there are warning models that we can learn from that took place during the time of past concerning Israel, concerning other nations, and uh, so just remember when we go back there, it's for our admonition that we really can learn. Now the scene here is in the city of Babylon. It's back in the 500s B.C.s. And the word Babylon is used 280 times in the Bible. It's the greatest city ever. It was built by a number of people led by King Nebuchadnezzar. This city was 60 miles around. It was surrounded by walls that were 87 feet thick. Think that through. And another interior wall. Uh, the outer wall was 311 feet tall. Now you stop and think, how tall is 311 feet? I mean, it's amazing. And uh, it had 250 towers on top of those walls so that the soldiers can defend off anybody. And six chariots could ride abreast up on top of the walls. Between the walls was a moat, a ditch filled with water. You had the wall, 311 feet, then a ditch that had water, and then you come to another interior wall there. And that's the way they would move their supplies back and forth to fight the enemy. Going through the middle of Babylon was the Euphrates River from the middle of the city. The city had drawbridges, but they had 300 brass gates guarding the entrance of this city. It had a great army. I don't know of them ever being defeated until recently at that time. They had over a million people inside the city. They had food and supplies enough for 20 years. Now think that through. 
they had inside. They had cattle, they had chickens, they had everything they ever needed. Right, They grew it right inside the city there. Persians, the Persians and the Medes were trying to conquer Babylon. Cyrus and Darius, they made a joint venture to join armies together to go against Babylon. But the Babylonians, inside those walls, they felt safe, secure, inside that fortress. The city, it was impregnable. It was impenetrable. Now, to help lift the spirits of its leaders, King Belshazzar, he was a co-regent, he was a second king. The other one had just been defeated, but he was a king, and uh, he was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, I believe. And so in order to encourage the leaders, he throws a feast. And he has the nobles there, the important leaders, the waiters, the guards. They had about 5,000 people there. They had food, wine, women. They all said, hey, this is a great start for an evening. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Daniel says this here. Chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. And then you have their workers and so on. Let me just say, it was a night of drinking, number one. And talking about drinking, 87% of college kids today drink alcohol. Three people will die during this service because of a drunk driver. There are 25,000 accidents related to drunk driving each year. 100,000 plus people die or have physical problems yearly that are related to alcohol. Yet advertisements promote it, make it glamorous, oh, it's great, it's fun. And people buy into that all the time. The great old-time preacher R.G. Lee said, I can say better things of a rattlesnake or a skunk than I can say of liquor. <laughs> the Bible speaks against alcohol drinking 55 times in the Bible. Can you imagine that? Proverbs 23, 32 about alcohol. At the last, it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. In other words, you're going down. <laughs> you think what drinking does to an individual person. You think of Moses. He's up on the mount receiving the commandments of God, written by the finger of God. But down below, they start drinking. And then it says by their drinking, they rose up to play. They began to take their clothes off, became naked, and, and made an idol. I heard a preacher preach a message one time, 3,000 streakers and not a policeman in sight, based on that story. I'll never forget that. You remember King Herod. He's having his party. He gets drinking. Herodias' daughter, who's very pretty, she begins to dance in front of her, and he says, I've got to have this woman. But it cost him. It didn't cost him, but it cost the head of John the Baptist as a result of that drinking. Somebody wrote this a long time ago, drink hath shed more blood, hung more crepe, sold more homes, plunged more people into bankruptcy, armed more villains, slain more children, snapped more wedding rings, 
defiled more innocence, blinded more eyes, dethroned more reason, wrecked more manhood, dishonored more womanhood, broken more hearts, blasted more lives, driven more to suicide, and dug more graves than any other scourge that has cursed the world. You can put all the other drugs together and they don't come close to alcohol. And that's just a fact, Jack. The second thing is, it was a day of drinking, but also it was a night, a night of drinking. It was a night of desecration. Notice verse 2 and following. Daniel says, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, it's actually his grandfather, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then he goes on to states, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, of silver, brass, of iron and wood, and of stone. In those verses right there, for some reason, King Belshazzar does a stupid thing. He calls for the utensils from Solomon's temple used to worship the only true God. The Babylonians put alcohol in them, praised the gods of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. And by doing that, that blasphemed and mocked the only true God. It would be like us holding up a golden cup of communion and saying, here's a toast to the devil. <laughs> that would be a comparison. They were blaspheming God. And I think how America has blasphemed God in many ways. Perversion rules the land. The unthinkable has become the acceptable. We see the results all around us. Killing of the unborn. The divorce epidemic, child abuse, celebration of sexual perversion, lawlessness in our streets, breakdown of trust, crime is on the rise, deceit and corruption in high places, terrible indoctrination of our children, cancel culture destroying America's heritage, causing chaos within our educational system and they're excluding and blaspheming of our God. Isaiah 59, 14 fits us today. And judgment is turned away backward. <laughs> and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity, fairness, justice cannot enter. That sounds like America today to me. We're just coming to that position. Francis Schaeffer said this, the time would come that we'll wake up and find the America we once knew gone. Solzhenitsyn said, we have forgotten God. That's why all these things happen. Proverbs 14.34 says this, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
when the existence and authority of God is removed from society and its decision-making process, moral confusion results. And we see a lot of moral confusion today. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is evil? People say this, there's all disagreement, all types of opinions. All they need to go do is go to the word of God and God says, this is true, this is good, this is bad. Amen. So it was a night of desecration. It was a night of distress. Verses 5 and 6 says this, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now that's amazing right there. What's verse 6 there, fellas, if you don't mind? Then the king's countenance was changed before he's drinking, happy, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his, I believe, knees, his loins, were loosed, in other words, he was trembling, and his knees smote one another against another. <laughs> While the party was peaking, God supernaturally intervened. From the king to the crowd, there was shock, horror, quietness. All they see is a hand, no body, just a hand writing on the wall. The king quickly sobered up at that moment. He was shaking. He calls all of his sorcerers, soothsayers, astrologers, magicians, asking for the interpretation. But we know that the natural man receiveth not the things of God. The queen evidently hears the noise of panic. She goes in and she sees the writing on the wall. They're trying to find out the interpretation. And she remembers there is a man who had been forgotten. There was a man who was not invited to this party, and his name was Daniel. And he was a man, wasn't he? He's the one when he was a young teen, wouldn't eat of the king's meat. He was the one who stood up against the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar, was thrown into the dungeon of Den of Lions, He's the one who, when they made the decree, you can't pray. He went down, he prayed like he always did. You talk about a man, he's the man. <laughs> and he had been forgotten by these people. She reminds them of that. To interpret the dream, the king says, Daniel, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a scarlet robe. I'll put a chain of gold all around your neck and I'll make you the third highest in the entire land. That's a pretty good offer, isn't it? Huh? But Daniel refuses those gifts and that position. But he says, I will still interpret the handwriting on the wall. And that's a good lesson for all of us, by the way. Sometimes we witness the people. We try to be a good testimony at times, and they just don't seem like they ever respond. Don't get discouraged. Daniel here, he's in his late 80s probably, pushing 90. They just put him out to sea in a sense. I mean, just out in pasture. 
and he's out there, but they remember him. And these type of people, when they come to a time of trouble, they will only call out for somebody who is faithful and a good testimony when their problem hits them. And I tell you, you're the answer because you're the only ones that have the true answer. You have the word of God. You have the spirit of God in you if you're saved and, and you, you have Christ as your savior. You have answers for these people. I remember when I worked construction, I was a concrete finisher. And uh, they'd make a lot of jokes about Christians, God, and make big blowhard statements. <laughs> they were just lost, didn't know any better. Good people, just stupid. And, uh, but I, I remember when the gang wasn't together, when I'd be over there by myself, I'd be hitting the edges or something at the time, and one of them stopped by and they said, they look around. They said, Jim, do me a favor. Pray for me. I'm going to have to go have a test taken. Isn't that interesting how that works? You know, I thank God I was there. I thank God that they saw something in me that had some answers. And you're the answer for these people. And when that happens with you, be bold in speaking the truth in love. Daniel, no doubt about it, he's going to show them their sins. They committed two great sins. The first one was forgetting their somewhat godly heritage. You know, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged that Daniel's God was the only true God of the universe. And it was God that held our very next breath of our life. He acknowledged that. And they had forgotten what he had acknowledged. And then also the other sin was using the sacred vessels, putting alcohol in it, and drinking out of them. And so we see it was a night of doom, verse 26 through 28. This is the interpretation of the thing, meaning God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tickle, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. And Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. That room changed from a drunken banquet to a courtroom. <laughs> the handwriting said to them as a nation, meaning, in verse 26, God has numbered the days of your reign and now your number is up. And Babylon from that night as a world power was over, was done no more at that time. We know they'll rise up in Revelation. Tekel, that means thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. God was saying to them, you don't measure up to what I require and you can't escape judgment. As a matter of fact, you don't deserve what I have given your country and given Nebuchadnezzar. He realized it and you have forgotten that. And I say America has lost her spiritual soul through a perverted philosophy of life, a corrupt government, taxation, media, our educational system. America is leaning toward socialistically 
And it seems like we've become as the days of Noah or the days of Lot. If God weighed us in the balances today as a country, we'd be found wanting. Abraham Lincoln said, This nation under God, without his guidance and direction, we are like Babylon of old. We can fall in one night. And then he says in verse 28, the word Perez. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. It's over and nothing is there that can prevent this from happening. Lehman Strauss said this, There is not a wall high enough or thick enough to prevent a nation from falling when God pronounces that nation's doom. You know, the Medes and the Persians, They'd been outside trying to get in for two and a half years. Two weeks prior to this big bash feast by the king and his leaders, two weeks prior, they, Persians and Medes, dug a trench from Euphrates to a swamp or to a lake and the waters came down. That allowed some of his soldiers, the Medes and Persians, it was shallow enough to be able to go under the wall, surprise the guards, let the drawbridge down and their entire army began to come into the city. It was amazing what they did. And they found, they caught the people of Babylon in a drunken spree with false security. Matter of fact, Babylon was taken that night without much of a fight because of the way that it happened. It was a night of doom. But also it was a night of death. Verse 30 says this, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. They didn't mess around when they got to him. They cut the head off immediately at that time. And you ask, how did this happen? Verse 21, 22. And he was driven from the sons of men, talking to Daniel talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses, they fed him with grass like oxen. Nebuchadnezzar just about lost his mind. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. He broke his pride. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart Thou that knewest all this. They knew about Nebuchadnezzar's acknowledgement of God, but yet they turned their back on it. And when we turn our back on God and forget God, we're in a heap of trouble. Amen. Romans chapter 1 verse 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind 
to do those things which are not convenient. And then verse 21, he says this here. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. And that seems like it's happening to America. And you have to ask yourself, is the handwriting on the wall? We deny we're blessed by God. This is why we have so much. We've done our best to shut God out of our national life. We bar him from the educational system or the courtroom. We mock any office holder who holds the Bible to be true. It's amazing what we do. Let me just remind you of coming down the stretch. Here's the tendency of great countries. They believe that we will always be a superpower to slowly push God out of the picture, to take him out of public life, to forbid the mention of his name, to ridicule those who still believe in him to promote those who exalt man and downplay God, to mock God's absolutes, to rewrite the rule book, to live by our own desires. And over that period of time, God is taken for granted and we are turned to our idols of technology. We think we're so smart and we begin to worship the things that we make with our own hands. And in the end, God judges that nation and it's no longer great. I hear music. Turn it off. <laughs> Today it seems America is being deprived of God's restraining grace. Sin is so rampant, so widespread, so tolerated. It's as if our nation is running to its own doom. And let me encourage you and remind you that when the judgment hand of God starts down, there's nothing that can prevent it. When they all got in that ark and God shut the door, no man got in that, and I'm sure they were out there crying, scratching the outside of that ark, but God said, you had your chance, now it's too late. So what can we do? Well, we can pray for a revival. That's what most people, well, I pray America needs revival. That's good, but let me just remind you, revival begins in the individual's life. It begins in your heart, in your life. Not a conglomerate, your heart, my heart. That's where it begins individually. That's the only way it can ever grow. You can try to place all the programs you want to, but if God's not moving in the heart, nothing's going to happen for good anyway. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men shall uh, uh, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now here's what we do. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. In other words, just stay by the stuff. Don't, get you, don't quit. 
Don't say the sky's falling. Just stay faithful. And if Paul can live in a time of Rome's emperors, we can live today easily. Philippians 4, 6 says this, just the first part of the verse. Philippians 4, 6. I didn't, did I give you? Good. Be careful for what? Nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. In other words, calm down. I know it's going to pot around here. I know things are going crazy. We've never seen anything like we are seeing today in our country. It breaks our hearts, I understand that. But he said, listen, cool it, chill, calm down. It's okay, I'm still on the throne. Huh? Yeah, it's a bad thing that's going on in your country. But that's not your worry right now. Your worry is to live for me. So just calm down and trust God. Be grateful for your heritage that we have. It seems like they're tearing it down everywhere we look around, doesn't it? Listen to these quotes, and I close. Patrick Henry, he said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? James Madison, we stake the whole future of the American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of our political institutions on the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. George Washington said, it is impossible to govern rightly without God in the Bible. How many men in Washington have stood up? There's been a couple I've seen, and I'm grateful for them, but they're ostracized as soon as they say it. John Adams, president, we have no government armed with powers capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly, our Constitution, wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And when you remove God, faith, pure religion, when you remove that, the government cannot function properly according to our Constitution that they gave us. Thomas Jefferson, and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. And lastly, President Dwight Eisenhower, great general. I saw him come down the street on Shelby Street one day when I was a little boy. He said, without God, there could be no American form of government. 
Let me say that again. Without God, there could be no American form of government. Our people need to wake up. Nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being, God, is the first and most basic expression of Americanism. I'm an American. I love America. Why? Because it honors God. That's what he's saying. God is the leader, and we should look to him for that, for our country. And what we're seeing today, we're seeing the people just turn their back on God. Anything goes. It's just crazy what's happening. But as Paul says, calm down, Jim Devney. You don't need 30 guns. Fifteen's enough. <laughs> what you would like to do. <laughs> but we have to trust God. In the midst of all of this, we just have to trust God. We're grateful for the heritage. Perfect never. But they left us a heritage where we could honor and worship the only true God. We've had a melting pot of religions coming to this country. And so now it's very difficult to say or do that because now you are disrespecting all these other gods. But when our country was formed, it was the one true God of the Bible. Amen? For that, it breaks hearts. But regardless of what goes on, we'll have church. We'll preach the word. Try to encourage you. You can pray that the Lord holds me back from making a fool out of myself and doing what's right. Amen? And just preach the gospel, preach right division, just preach the truth and keep on going. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this true story of Babylon and how they lost it. And God, we see so many similarities between America. We think we always have it when we've been turning our back on you for years. And God, it would take only one night anymore. And so, God, you're our protection. You're our provider. You're our safety place. May you be our first love in our hearts. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpnd.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. You can watch us live and view past services on our website, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Until next broadcast, may God richly bless you as our prayer.